Thank you for tuning in to the best parenting show on the internet. Post Daily Dose. Yeah, so we'll just go around and do some introductions. Um, everybody that's here was here last night. One of those. So this is kind of our group that meets every Thursday morning, and we've been doing kind of your all your trauma videos and stuff for how long now? Eight so months. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say eight, nine months. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, this is kind of the group that's been doing that. Um, there's a couple that did the book study with Christy. Yeah, you that was me. Did anybody else do book study with Christy? I signed up with you directly. I bought the program, and I've literally only watched ten minutes of it. I what? hope I can still get, you know, it's been kind of hectic. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we'll just go around and do some quick introductions and... Yeah. Who wants to start? I'll start. I'm Loie and my better half, Rainy, and we've uh, adopted a grandson who is 13, and he had all the diagnosis possible. And then last <coughs> September, he was we had him tested, and he has uh, FASD. Mm -hmm. And um, then we got in contact with Jody, and it's been absolutely and. Uh, Brendeline has been wonderful, and we—I lost—I've watched a lot of it <laughs> on the computer, and I find that uh, I have to listen to it about ten times. Every time I listen to it, there's something more. But we learned a lot from you. Cool, mm -hmm. great, and we really appreciate your input. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. So my name is Kathy, and um, my husband and I have three typical children, and we adopted our six-year-old. We adopted; she turned out to have FAS. And now uh, we are, have a foster child as well, who is more all the trauma stuff. And she has a little sister that we're going to integrate into our home that's 10 years old, which is causing us some stress. We're going to get our heads around that and get some skills in place. Um, and last night when I was listening to you, I thought, I think my therapist must follow you or something, because I feel like my therapist is up there. Cool. Like, yeah, like, really? like all, some things like almost word for word. And I, you know, my brain, I just need to hear it over and over mm -hmm. and over again. And then, yeah, so all I of love our, it. All of our brains need to hear it. I over love the over. message. That's one of the ways that we learn is through repetition. The emotional impact and repetition is how the brain changes. So that, mm -hmm. it's so important. And so my 16-year-old my with the FAS, she is more like the, um, like reactionary and it, her behaviors are, you know, like you see it. Mm -hmm. And then my foster daughter, is she just like turtles. Yeah. And she like hunches over, hides in her room. Um, and I'm having a hard time with that behavior. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden I just realized I'm doing, I'm dealing with it completely wrong. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Oh, you bet. Good. Thank you. And I'm Kathy, too, and I have um, a soon-to-be 26-year-old with two grandsons with her. And then I've got the 9, 10, and 11-year-olds. And um, we've been greatly blessed by your step-by-step -step, uh, instruction, because I need that, the step-by-step, -step, like, what do I do here? And then this is what works. And uh, the time in was real, really, really important, because the way we were raised was time out, like, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And um, between us learning and the school that they're in, it's a special school for kids with uh, intellectual delay, um, we're 
We're seeing a lot of hope. Okay, good. Good. Everybody knows me. You're up. You're next. Oh, hi. <laughs> Do you want us to come back? Sure. Okay. Hi, my name is Manon. I was here last night with my husband, Richard. We have a 24-year-old son, which has FASD. It's new for us. We... Uh, we finally discover what he was uh, uh, not suffering, but what he was dealing with mm -hmm. two years, just two years ago. Yeah. Uh, so um, we did wrong all the way. <laughs> so now we're we're trying to um, now that we understand more how to help him. It's going a lot better, but he, unfortunately, my son is now a turtle. I mm -hmm. learned that last night with you, mm -hmm. and I'm more. I'll be working more on that with all your advices, and it was great. Okay, good. Yeah. Good. We can talk about that more, especially since you guys have that in common. Okay. Good morning. I'm Brenda Lee. Good morning. I'm Henrietta Schmeichel. I have a soon-to-be 18-year-old child with severe FASD. You know, all the, all the labels you posted yesterday, well, she has all of them plus more. Mm -hmm. She's also been diagnosed as schizophrenic, which kind of makes sense because her mother had it. Mm -hmm. And uh, two types of bipolar. And then, you know, all the abbreviations that are out there, except for autism. Yeah, she also has those. And yet... Um, the, it is really scary because she had her first schizophrenic episode, actually. She told me about it. She saw things that weren't there when she was eight. Mm -hmm. And I went to the hospital, children's hospital, and I said, I need you to look at this because her mom has it. Mm -hmm. What do I do? And I said, well, she's too early to diagnose. She's too early to help. So things just got sideways from there, and uh, she is very defiant at times, not always. Uh, I'm, I'm at a loss. It's, it's, she's not living with us over the last two and a half years. A CFS stepped in because our um, post-adoptive support worker really provided no support. She just told us to give her back to the government. So she's too difficult to handle, just give her back. And I says, I can't do that, this is my child. Well, they don't ask me for help, kind of thing, you know. And she says, "Well, I give you support, so you give me money." And I've hired many, many uh, caregivers to help us, and they all said, "You cannot leave me alone with her." So, as far as breaks go or respite, yeah, there hasn't been any. So, when social services said, "Hey, you want us to help you with her?" I said, "Yeah, I do." Biggest mistake I have ever made. And now I'm stuck with the worst team. Now that she's almost 18, these guys really do nothing. They just let her run. Now she's addicted to drugs, she's a full-blown alcoholic, and she is so stressed. When you mentioned that yesterday, with, and I've done some research on my own, because her entire body has stretch marks on it. And it's not like she's gained massive amounts of weights, but her... Um, Cortisol levels must be so high because that's what breaks down your skin and that can cause stretch marks. She has it everywhere. It's going up to her neck. 
And that's not helping her stress levels mm. because now she's also not pretty, right? So yeah, I definitely need help. I, I'll take anything I can get now. Okay. So we'll just come back to... Uh, hi, my name is Patricia. Um, I'm a grandma of two grandsons that live with FASD and a 51-year-old daughter who lives with FASD. Okay. And um, I try to support and manage. So my husband's line is... Kelly is in charge of her life. She makes all the decisions, and we're in charge of cleaning up the messes. So he's at her house today, <laughs> cleaning up a mess. Oh no! Yeah. Mm. Anyway, the one you just sold? Yeah, the ceiling caved in in the kitchen. And try is a very—that's an understatement. Pardon me. When you said I try, you do. I try. I do everything. I've I watched can. you for yeah. <laughs> almost two years now. <laughs> yeah. Like, so awesome. I figured a few things out, and a lot of things I just have to. So I use the, I use the Serenity Prayer a lot. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I over the years have um, figured out mostly where I have control and where I don't. And sometimes I'm surprised where I don't. Sometimes I'm surprised where I do. <laughs> anyway, it's always a surprise, right? <laughs> right. That's it. Yeah, and I've burned out twice. Just so everybody knows, and the burnout was caregivers. I mean, I can I can excuse my daughter, my grandsons, because like, because I have a rationale and I understand the rationale. And if I knew a diagnosis for some of the so-called support workers, to um, pick up with Kathy. Kathy um, left me with a, a challenge she's been having and so I was kind of um, meditating on that, praying on that throughout the night. Um, I'd like a little bit more detail about the, the um, I call it pooping and peeing, but enuretic and incorporetic behaviors. You said that they're both doing it, they're both in pull-ups, and they do it even at home, and you've had your son since an infant, since birth, and he's nine. How old is he? Nine, yeah. He's nine. And your daughter? She's ten. She's ten. And she came to us at 18 months. And she came to you at 18 months. The only difference between it is she will play with it. So okay. she has dirty hands, and it doesn't face her. And mm -hmm. so we suspected, too, what you had mentioned right away, uh, what happened to her in that 18 months, other than being, we knew she was in a high chair most of the time. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they get it. They they were excited. They both pooped on the potty at school, and then mm -hmm. they, but they won't, they're so, it's a security thing for them now, I think, the pull-ups. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if it's a control thing, and um, I just said, we're going to go without them this summer. We got to, we got to conquer this, guys, and uh, but as soon as my my little nine-year-old wants to poop, he goes and grabs a pull-up if he doesn't have one on, and he stands in a corner and does it. Hmm. Who else is in the home? Uh, there's a there's a eleven-year-old, so she's also adopted, and then there's just my husband and I. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, if I was to just speak 
which I'm going to speak just from what you've told me. Um, I would say that, there, well, there are a couple things. Three things. <laughs> Maybe four things. <laughs> so, the first, and probably the easiest to start with, is I really want you to pay attention to when the pooping and peeing happens. I, I would like to see if it's predictable. So, look at, especially at school, but even at home, transition changes in the home routines, and it could be as simple as coming from the living room to come to the dinner table for dinner. I'd like to see if it's predictable. That'd be number one. Um, number two, and I, I would probably save yourself the hassle right now and keep them in the pull-ups, mm -hmm. but I would, I would consciously tell them that we're going to start potty training because it could be if it's if it's you know not not anything of the other things that we talked about last night it could be that see trauma i mentioned this impacts the circadian rhythms and one of the things that that is connected to is the the brain's connection to the body's need to release mm -hmm. and so it gets it gets severed it doesn't work when you've experienced especially in utero trauma and trauma in those first couple of years so not only does it impact sleep and food but it impacts bowel movements and urine and everything like that so a lot of times for some children it's by the time they're ready to poop it's too late mm -hmm. they've they've already gone mm -hmm. but if if your son has the ability to go get a pull-up mm -hmm. put the pull-up on then poop then to me that's Number one, it is a control. It's a control issue, but it's not controlled from the capacity that the, the standpoint we like to think of it as. We like to think of it as control, like he's just choosing to do this. Well, that's a very negative perception. It's controlled because he's identified this at some level in a conditioned way as something that feels good to him. It's soothing. It's safe. It's just like if I had chocolate. You know, I, I was a chocolate. Chocolate makes me feel good. I wouldn't want to share those brownies. Well, I'm not trying to be controlling because I'm just being mean. I see those brownies as my life source of life and death. Mm -hmm. And so I've got, I've got to hang on to them. So it becomes a survival thing. So there's probably some level of that playing out for him. But I'd want to put them on a, on a potty training routine just like you would do an 18-month-old, which is timed. You know, an hour and a half, start with an hour and a half, maybe go to two hours. So you'd want to consistently do that during the summer is going to be a great time. But I've also had schools do the same thing. Um, and it becomes more and more um, just, a, just a, a mentioning that it's time. And I've done this with 12-year-olds with before. Um, actually, the first time I ever did it was with a 12-year-old here in Canada. Um, so I'd want to put them on a potty training routine. And the third thing I would want to do is you need to help them understand what's going on with them and why. And so what I would encourage you to do is make a quiet, an opportunity for quiet, for a quiet space. Maybe it's in their bedroom or when no one else is around and one at a time and maybe with you and your husband together you know, say, honey, come here, and, and whichever one is, pull them up on your lap, get them leaning back in your arms, and just rubbing their chest and rubbing their tummy, and tell them about 
the experience of being in their mommy's belly. Like when you were in your mommy's, I have something I need to tell you and it's gonna make me a little sad. This is, so this is the important piece, is it's gotta be emotionally connected. And I said this to someone last night, they were asking me a question about a process with their child and I said, you have to lead with the emotion first because a child who's never learned how to express emotion doesn't know how. So they can feel emotion, but it's not the, the most normal thing. And it's not even normal for us, for many of us, because we've learned that attitudes and feelings aren't okay. So we've got as much suppression around emotions as our children do. Um, so tell them, I'm gonna, I, I need to tell you something that makes me feel sad. Don't even make it about them. But I've been thinking about when you were in your mommy's tummy. And I've been thinking about that in relationship to the challenges that you're having with your potty training. And we're going to start working on your potty training. But here's the thing. And, and you're rubbing the chest and rubbing their belly. And, and if they'll look at you, that's great. If they won't look at you, that's okay too. Because more than anything, you want the connection and you want to be able to tell the story. And I really want to encourage you to get into the emotion. So you think about, you think about your child as an infant in this tummy that did not feel safe to them, that made them feel really scared, that had them balled up. And think about that also for, as a metaphor, because it's not even a metaphor for your children. It's a biological reality. They're balled up. They're holding on. They have not been able to relax enough to be able to have the connection to allow them to release when they need to. Right? Sense. So think about that from an in utero. They're balled up. Right, and so you're breathing in, you're slowing down. This is not a fast story. The faster you tell the story, the more cognitive you're gonna be. So you have to slow the story down and get in touch with your heart. Okay. Get in touch with your heart, see them, tell the story, allow your emotions to come up, and just say it makes me so sad that when you were in your mommy's tummy, that you didn't feel safe and now you still don't feel safe and I know you don't feel safe because your body's not allowing you to use the bathroom when you need to and it's not your fault mm -hmm. and I just feel sad can you t do you remember you ask him that who know you never know what you're gonna get <laughs> right some kids will be like yeah I do remember mommy but others will be like I don't remember and then you just kind of tell them the story. And again, it's like I said last night, it's not about making the biological parent bad. It's about helping your children understand themselves, understand who they are, because they need to develop that consciousness and that awareness of why they struggle so they can start to have some understanding of themselves. That way, you're trying to get them to use the bathroom is no longer about you trying to force them to do something. It's about you helping them learn how to make this connection. So tell them that story, have that moment, you know, and that probably be a 20 minute, 30 minute period of time um, would be very important. And, and sometimes I'm going to say you might have to do that a couple of few times. Just use your own sense, your own intuition about what you think um, your children might need as far as that communication goes. Because that can also open up opportunities for other, other dialogue, okay? It can open up other, maybe there'll be things that come up that they haven't told you about. You can just ask them. 
you know, but it's, it's you just create that safety and dad's pretty much sitting there beside you just listening and, you know, being supportive. He doesn't have to do a whole lot. You're just opening up that, if he can get into his emotions, that's fantastic too. You're just opening up that emotional window. And when you open up that emotional window, it's like, it's like agitating. So if you think about our amygdala, which is our fear receptor, has neural circuitry, which runs all the way down the spinal cord to the intestines, right? So when a child has experienced trauma, their circadian rhythms are what's supposed to tap the amygdala to say, hey, this bladder's full, or hey, this intestine's full, it's time to go to the bathroom and release. But when trauma has disrupted those circadian rhythms, it's turned down. And then what happens is children make associations with stress and transition. When they make associations with stress and transition, all of a sudden, because the circadian rhythms are turned down, the amygdala gets alarmed and the bladder releases. The intestines just release because it's a byproduct of stress that they, they don't have the control over it. Mm -hmm. And so putting them back on a potty training routine, talking to them about their trauma, um, really, and then thinking about them metaphorically from that, you know, from that baby place really helps them and helps you, helps all of you make more sense of this challenge. And you see it as something that you're going to focus on working on. You know, this is going to be a point of focus. And the reason I say go ahead and do the pull-ups is because <clears throat> the pull-ups offer them some level of safety and security. Mm -hmm. um, it seems like the pooping would be probably the first thing that you, could, that you can get a handle on um, because you can, you can pretty much structure that, right? It's like morning or night or after a meal, what have you, until it gets, until it gets more consistent. The peeing is a little bit different, but that's why I said the first thing you got to do is just start to, I wouldn't do anything for a few days. For a few days, I would just observe. Mm -hmm. Don't do anything. Don't say anything. Just observe when the pull-ups are, and just ask them, hey, could you tell me when you wet your pull-up? You know, hey, could you tell me when you're going to poop? And not non-threatening at all. It's just as, as a matter of fact, so they'll just stay in their normal, their normal condition patterns. And then you move into into the other things. Um, it's just, it's really regressive behavior. It's really regressed. So they're not, they're not nine and 10 in that space. They're definitely 18 months and younger. And it's just, it's interesting. It's interesting to me that I can understand the 18 months. And that just tells me that with the, with the baby, with the boy, it just must've been some, some real stuff they were dealing with. Um, and again, like I said last night, you know, the common primary diagnosis that you guys are getting for, for your children is, is FASD. But you have to understand that FASD is a byproduct of trauma. And that, so you, you've got mothers who are traumatized. And so FASD is, is one of the areas of focus but these children were, were bathed in wombs of trauma and cortisol and stress and overwhelm. And their parents had experiences of trauma. So a lot of it is generational trauma that the child is now carrying. And so some of the challenge the child's carrying isn't even their challenge. Mm -hmm. They're just expressing it. 
And it, it literally is expressed through the energy of our cells. Like our cells emit vibrations, and that's how trauma gets passed down through the generations, through the DNA, because trauma shapes the DNA. So it becomes a part of us. And when we get stressed, we send off those vibrations, and sometimes those stories, those experiences, aren't the child's. Right? So if we're looking at in utero, who knows what mom was going through? And, it, and sometimes if you have those experience, if you have that knowledge, it's good to talk about that too. Because for the child ultimately to grow into a place of being able to take responsibility for themselves, they're going to have to, and my friend April Dinwoody and I just talked about this on her podcast, one of the real challenges that adopted children have, and one of the reasons that they get really resentful of biological parents is because they, they're, they're never able to have any understanding of what the biological parents went through that brought them to that moment. And, you know, if you know what the biological parents may have experienced, it's good to know because then that way the kid is actually able to separate that this wasn't really about me because that's what their identity is. Because their identity is the trauma. That is just who they are. It's, it's hardwired into them. So when they can start to understand that, you know, your mom went through a lot of stuff. And when she was pregnant with you, she, went, she was going through a lot of stuff. And it wasn't about you. She carried you. And we're thankful that you're here. But it wasn't about you. She was trying to survive. She was doing the best that she could. It doesn't mean that you were bad or anything like that. You may feel bad, and if you feel bad, it's because your mom probably felt bad, which those aren't, those aren't even your feelings. And feeling that not good enough and feeling that intense fear and that intense sensitivity to stress um, can all be very helpful. So thinking about that just very regressed, I'm going to say that in, when the in the times when that's happening, there's probably something stressful going on. And, and, and when I say stressful, like I said, we can experience stress through what we see, what we hear, what we taste, what we touch, what we smell, temperature, digestion, movement. I mean, there's so many things that can cause us to move outside of our window of tolerance if it's already small. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the, it's just sending them back to a regressed state. And it can, it's okay to talk to them about how, how they're pooping on themselves and how they're peeing on themselves makes them feel. Because it feels warm. And, you know, and that stimulation, there's something about that stimulation that is probably releasing some level of oxytocin. And your, your daughter playing with her poop, that's a, that's, that's a, there's a psychological term that's used where it's object permanence, where this is a part of her, the reason she's hanging on to it is, is it actually helps her to feel like she's a person here in this world because this came out of her, it's a part of her, this makes, it makes her real, it's got a texture, it's got a smell, it's gross as all get out, but it's, for her, there's some significance there. And so it's important to just talk to them about it. And I really believe in normalizing versus pathologizing. We have a tendency to really pathologize children's behavior problems without realizing that these behavior problems almost all come from regressed states of trauma and experience, which then is normal. It's normal. And so that's, that's what I would suggest, um, Kathy, for that. Work on that for a couple of weeks and see where it goes. And, and in that, as you're 
as you're, um, because so, so much of this stuff can be very systematic when we're really paying attention to it. I always say that severe behavior is predictable. Severe behavior is always predictable. We just have to dial into paying real attention to it. And I call that the A to Z principle, where it's, um, can I see your, your notebook? Oh, my notebook, okay. Can you depend it? Yeah. So in our society, we have a tendency to focus. So if we think about Z, Z is the behavior, right? So Z is the behavior, and you think about the alphabet, A to Z. Z is the behavior, and in our society, we have a tendency to just focus on X, Y, and Z. That's why parents always say, well, it was, it was not predictable. I didn't, you know, it was just came out of the blue. Well, the significance is that X, Y, and Z is all an outcome. And so I call it the A to Z principle, because before you can get to Z, you have to start with A. And A is the process. So this all along the way, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, is the process that leads to the outcome. We have to start thinking about the process and not the outcome. And we have to back up. Because sometimes for an outcome, that outcome could have started two days ago. That outcome could have started last night. You just never know when that, when that outcome actually started. And so when you start paying attention to the process as opposed to focusing on the outcome, it actually gives you more control over what you're dealing with. Because all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm not so helpless to this. This, this isn't just catching me by surprise. This is something I really, and that's why I think that having behavior problems is a good thing. When your child acts out, it's perfect. Because then you get an opportunity to come back and look. See, we don't have to get overwhelmed by a child having a behavior episode. We're only, we're only overwhelmed by our children acting out and having these blowouts because we feel helpless to them. When you stop feeling helpless and realize that every blowout is an opportunity for you to learn and grow and, and learn how to create healing for your child in that moment, you stop feeling so helpless to it. Now, it'll catch you off guard and it'll, it'll start up your amygdala real quick. Right? And sometimes you just got to roll with it and do whatever it is you, you, you're inclined to reactively do, but review it the next time. And as you do that, systematically, you feel more and more empowered to be able to deal with it. And it takes time. It takes time because it's not just about dealing with outcomes. We're talking about changing brain states. We're talking about changing the wiring of your child's brain. The reason they have this behavior is that their brain has formed a pathway that is telling them to choose this pathway. This thing's happening, this stressor's happening, this stimulus is happening, here's the pathway you pursue. The same way we do when we're hungry. We're hungry, we pursue a pathway that says go get food. Well, sometimes with hunger, we're not even hungry and that pathway turns on, right? And how many times have you said, you feel hungry and then you're like, I'm not hungry, I'm just bored, or I'm just stressed, I'm not going to eat right now. And you just go along, you know, you, it's not a big deal, you said you're doing intermittent fasting, same thing. You get hungry, I'm not really hungry, I'm just bored, I'm just looking for something to occupy my attention. And it's so interesting, especially being in airports where pretty much you're sitting in an airport, that's all there is to do is just eat. And you just see people eating and eating and eating and eating, lines, eating, and I know we're not hungry. 
It's just what we do because that's a pathway our brain that's been created in our brain. So you're literally changing your child's brain when you take a systematic <coughs> approach to reducing problem behaviors. And I like to encourage you guys to, because sometimes you can be dealing with so many behaviors, right? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Focus on one behavior. Take on that one behavior. Stop giving so much attention to the other ones. Because what you're going to find out is the approach you take to the one behavior is actually going to start to impact the other ones. Mm -hmm. Because if you take an approach that all behavior arises from a state of stress, and with one behavior is your focus, and with that behavior you're focusing on reducing stress, well, you're reducing stress in the entire environment. And that's going to affect all the behaviors. Is that helpful? Mm -hmm. You look just like this woman in Claremore, Oklahoma, where Christy and Marley live, that works at the tag agency. Like, she could be your twin. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, she could be your twin. What's the tag agency? Is she a nice person? It's, she's a nice person. <laughs> You'll take it. Eh? I'll take it. <laughs> my son, can I add? My son used to have this problem okay. until he was 12. He pooped and pee and he was at school. Uh, I, at that moment, I thought it was because of transition or because he didn't want to stop playing with the friends or he was too occupied in this moment to listen to his body. Mm -hmm. So uh, he stopped around 12, but to this day, it's a last minute thing. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you know other adults who are like that? Oh, I don't. They still, they still wait to the last minute. Last I mean, it, second. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You see adults run into the bathroom because they've waited too long. Um, my nephew, who my mom has raised since he was two, he used to, the big thing was peeing his pants and at, at, at bedtime and started them on a pull-up regimen and, and just basically said, just leave it alone. Don't focus on that because as, as he gets more regulated, it's going to go away. And a lot of times it just takes that consistent regulation. Now... There is, it's stored in the notes in my phone. There's something called the vagal, the vagal nerve, V-A-G-E-L, and there's someone, there's some, some professionals that are able to manipulate that nerve, which helps with, with pooping pants. Um, I'll, I'll get that resource for you guys. Um, you also want to keep in mind diet, you know, there. I always approach things from an emotional perspective. Like I, I approach physical pain from an emotional perspective because I feel like that's the foundation. But there are other things, you know, you, you may need to talk to a doctor. There, you know, doctors, there are medications that can help reduce those incidences, especially the, the wetting the pants. But um, I'd want you to do this probably for the next 30 days for sure. <laughs> Check in with me in a couple weeks, and then let's let's see where we're at. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think I think I got distracted. I was going to tell you I'd like for you to measure while you're over the next few days measure the incidents 
So not only are you paying attention to when it's happening, but measure how many is happening in a day. Then that way, we're, it gives us a benchmark for what we're reducing. Okay, thank you. When we're making progress. Yeah, my youngest grandson was in, in still-wearing diapers at 10. Yeah. yeah. Dylan's 16, almost 16, and he's still in pull-ups. Yeah, right? But we just leave it. Like, we don't, like, it's just that's who it is, how he is or what he's doing, but maybe I need to be. Well, and there's probably definitely something um, neurologic with FAS, that alcohol or drug exposure that's tweaking tweaking that connection it makes it really difficult and the reason as kids get older they become more conscious and more mindful and so that process that process of consciousness and mindfulness helps them start to pay more attention but like you said it's still waiting till the last minute sometimes to do it but they're developing more consciousness of it and that's why they'll eventually not need a pull-up because they're just developing more consciousness of it and then over time that repetition that repetition makes that signal a little stronger and a little stronger well that's why we don't make a big deal like i just keep hoping one day it stops right yeah i love that strategy <laughs> hope the hope strategy it's when, I was, when i was looking on facebook with moms that have their kids on with, with fas and and uh, cbd oil there was one lady that was right out there, the girl was 13, and within two weeks she stopped using pull-ups and stuff. She was really aware. Um, what made me so sad, and, and I probably will get emotional if, I'm, if I can get my little guy to sit down and, and touch him, because I couldn't get him to hug me this morning. As soon as I got home yesterday, I said, I need a hug from you and you and you, and Daddy does too. We need to do it three times a day, and you remind me of that, okay? Well, he doesn't want to, so I have to wait, because there's that sensory bit where mm -hmm. he can't have anything on his head, you know, mm -hmm. those, all those adjutants. And, and there's it's something in that, too, is finding out what, what kind of stimulation feels good to him. So it may not be a hug, it may be a back scratch for him. Yeah. And then the other thing is just having the intention. Never discount that, just having the intention. Just being here in this room, all of you are creating a positive intention for your children that sends a vibration of love to them. It, it's, it's your, it may be a small seed, but you're creating that just by having, having the desire for them to feel better and for everyone to feel better, that's a big deal. And we don't, we don't give that enough credence because we just look at everything as so, it has to be so hands-on, and it, it doesn't. Because so much of who we are, all of who we are really is vib vibration. We're all vibratory beings. Okay. Thoughts become things. Wow, busy place. What morning's going on here? Looks like I have to go dig up a chair. I could do that. I have a question. You were talking about rubbing their belly, rubbing their back, doing this kind of thing. Now, our daughter has accused her father of molesting her. And her big thing, and something that was supported by children's services was that rubbing her back and rubbing her belly is a sexual come on. Mm. <coughs> so I can't even do this. 
I have a, a younger adopted child, a turtle, actually. She's been turtling this morning since all this stuff happened. She's just in her shell. She doesn't want to come out. <coughs> and my oldest daughter asked her, she says, does mom and dad rub your back? And she says, yes. She said, see, you should report this because this is what happens. And I think, so how do you get past that? Like, I'm afraid to touch her yeah. because she misrepresents things. And not anymore, but in the very beginning, and now she's acknowledged that it never happened, but I mean, this seems to be like, this was real, this is not real, but this goes back and forth. Was she ever, was she ever sexually abused? She's been with us since she was two, two days old. Oh, okay, okay. But her mother, mm-hmm. when you said the uh, generational issue, her mother has accused her father of sexual abuse. And I don't know if it's true or not, but her father is, was, he's dead now, was a diagnosed uh, alcoholic. And um, there must have been issues because her older sister, her grandmother took her older sister to come live with her because her mother was uh, an alcoholic and drug user. And she found the baby in soiled diapers Mm-hmm. And she hadn't eaten, she was screaming, bloody murder. So she, the grandmother took her home. And um, Children's Services, whom I know of, but this was a good team, um, they said, you cannot have her live with you as long as your husband lives there as well. Mm-hmm. So there must have been issues we just didn't know. Right. I have no idea. I, I've never told my daughter that her mom was bad. I've always been supportive because she really wanted to keep her. But with her disabilities, it was just impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm honestly, I'm totally lost. I no longer know what I'm doing. Everything mm-hmm. I do feels wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is. And I'm just... Yeah. Well, we're all dealing with this trauma, eh? We're all... We have to get over Heal from mm-hmm. it. It's yeah. so hard. Sorry. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Um, the only reason that mental health professionals tell families, healthy families, not to touch is because of their own fears. And it's a sad thing, but one of one of the real common Mis- misconceptions we have around children who've been sexually abused, and your your daughter growing up probably wasn't. There's probably been some things going on since since yes. she's been in and out of your home. Um, we have we have the the misperception that you shouldn't talk, you shouldn't touch children who've been sexually abused because they're going to perceive it as being sexually abused, and that's that's terrible advice because. A child who's been sexually abused has been touched in an unhealthy way. Mm-hmm. And the only way they can learn healthy touch is through a loving adult. And one of the things that I always have parents do, and I would have your husband say this to your daughter right now, I don't want to have sex with you. You're my daughter. I love you. I only want to take care of you. I only want to support you. I'm not going to have sex with you. He's told her that many times. That, that's, that's such an important thing. Because kids who've had experiences, they don't know. And until it's spoken, they will believe the worst because they have that threat in their brain. And until someone said that to them, they don't know. Um, I, would, I would then 
they're, they're, so I don't want to go too fast because even though touch is really, really important in your situation, it may not, it not it's, it's not the priority. I would start with thinking about moments of healthy interaction and you say that you're confused and you don't even know, you know, what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to tell you, listen to your gut, listen to your heart. That's where your truth is at. You know. You have mother instincts. You know. And sadly, a lot of professional advice is based in fear. And it's based in fear, and then it, what it does is it plays on your own fear and your own anxiety. Can I interrupt you for mm -hmm. a second? They didn't tell us that. They're telling her that. And I don't have a problem with her in that regard. Mm -hmm. I mean, she... She's been AWOL for a week and a half, and the only person she contacted was me, nobody else, so she trusts me. Mm -hmm. So I don't have that issue. She also trusts her father again. She wrote him three big letters, and she apologized for what she did. She knows it wasn't true, and she doesn't know why she did it. Mm -hmm. That's the big thing, and she was so grateful that we have never given up on her, mm -hmm. and that she still belongs with this family. Uh, this is the only thing that keeps us going, but... I don't know how to stop these people from putting, from putting thoughts in her mind that she then keeps, and now she's confused, and I don't know how to take that away. So you're confused, and she's confused. Yes. So well, everyone's I'm only confused. confused as to, well, we're all confused, really. The whole family is totally everyone's confused. confused. Yeah, because of the um, misinformation that's bouncing around everywhere. And, and we know what happened, and my sons know what happened. I mean, I have mature sons. My oldest has his own kids. And, and they're still there for Cheyenne. So Cheyenne is still, this is my daughter's name, it's still part of our family. Mm -hmm. But all the things that are happening, I'm, I mean, obviously, she is so confused because she's, she didn't go in and out of our home. She just left and she never came back. And how old was she? She was 16. 16, okay. And this is when everything started. I don't doubt that somebody did some really bad stuff to her mm -hmm. because she's been, ex she's been exploited mm -hmm. terribly. So it's coming from somewhere, mm -hmm. and this fear is stuck with her. Mm -hmm. But by the same token, she will overcome this fear by saying, I'm in control, and then she does it despite being afraid. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't serve her well. I mean, why would she want to kill herself? Mm -hmm. She just, she's scared, she's afraid. She, 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 How often do you see her? I, I've seen her lots, but because she's been AWOL, I've only seen her accidentally. We, we ran into her at Walmart, of all places, when she was AWOL. And she was excited to see us, but she was with a group of kids, and they pulled her away from us as quickly as possible. So these are the friends she has, and they've been using her. She's been providing their food money, right? So, mm. yeah. Uh, normally, I see her frequently. Like she comes, we've 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 been out. She's been with us on a four-day camping trip. And this is when I saw how much things have actually changed since she left. So, you still have relationship with her. Yes, and we that's all do. that's fantastic. That's fantastic. That's what you want to focus on. You want to focus on the fact that you still have relationship with her. Even though all these other things are going on, you want to continue building on that relationship. 
because that relationship is going to win out when everything else finally goes away. I would also write her letters. I would have your husband write her letters and you write her letters. Fantastic. I have, I've, when we went on vacation, I wrote her um, a letter, a card, and I wrote in the card and there was a nice saying and then I would send her affirmations along with it so mm -hmm. she can do that. And a friend of mine that she knew well and likes would bring her that every week. Mm -hmm. So we still had that connection. I thought that was important. It I is important because if she's writing letters, it means she she likes <laughs> to think through what she's saying and she can take letters with her. Mm -hmm. And she can have your words with her. And that's a that's a sustained part of the relationship. The other thing you don't want to do is you don't want to be a part of the confusion. Mm -hmm. So you have to work on disconnecting from the confusion. It's okay for her to be confused. She should be confused. She's got, she's getting a lot of information coming at her from a lot of different people. She's supposed to be confused. Plus she's still an adolescent. She still has an adolescent brain. There's potential schizophrenia in the history. So is she on medication? Yes. So then she's on medication too. So there's so many reasons for her to be confused. She should be confused. <clears throat> You can't be confused. Uh, yeah. You have, to, you have to pull yourself out of the confusion and the overwhelm. And the way you do that is through breathing. I'm, I'm actually, I'm having a therapist come once a week. Mm -hmm. And we're doing therapeutic yoga. Mm -hmm. The amount of money I'm spending on all my therapies mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. enough to have supports yeah. for her at home. Right. right. Um, but I, I know it makes a difference. This yesterday just threw me for a loop. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I didn't anticipate this. I was in contact with her the night before and she sounded perfect. Mm -hmm. I don't know, what, something must have happened during that night. Sure, something probably did. And, and, and it may, maybe it happened during the night. Maybe she sounded perfect because she was in a moment that she sounded good, but she's, she's out there on her own. She's a 17 year old mm -hmm. trying to figure out and she's confused. And the thing I, the thing I want you to, to grasp though is when she comes, when she comes to you with, Sorry. with all the mixed messages that she's receiving, I just want you to get really quiet. I want you to get really quiet and really present. That's how you, that's how you tone down the confusion. Because if you start getting anxious and wanting to like say things back, like it shouldn't, it's not this way, then it's just confusing her even more. And then you're getting stressed, she's getting stressed, so I want you to get more present and just say, honey, I'm sorry you keep getting that information. And I'm glad you're here. Okay. That makes me sad, I'm glad you're here. Well, I'm, I've been trying, I've been reading the book, I Hear You, mm -hmm. and I've been using that a lot, and it makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And that's really all I have to say. Mm -hmm. I hear you. And then she just tells mm -hmm. me everything. And she feels understood, mm -hmm. even though I'm sort of like not in a good place hearing all this stuff. But I am, I'm really trying. It's the relationship. <laughs> it's the relationship that wins out with your adolescence. And the relationship is the first thing that gets severed when we start focusing on behaviors. You start focusing on behaviors, you're going to lose the relationship. Mm -hmm. The relationship 
allows you the ability to influence your child throughout the lifespan. This parenting thing doesn't stop at 18. It doesn't stop at 18. It continues until we're in the grave, until we stop breathing. So we create so much anxiety and stress around getting our children to a certain place at a certain time, and it's all BS because you don't stop being parents. And so we spend so much time trying to control our children's behaviors and getting all this input and how to control them during, all, during the most vital times that we should be building relationship. That then when they hit adolescence, they start rebelling and we don't have enough, we don't have enough relationship to keep them pulled in. And so you have to be able to have enough relationship with a teen to pull them in, but you also have to have enough faith and enough trust in what you've, what you've bestowed upon them and what you've taught them over the years to let them pull away. And that's where it gets scary. It gets scary when they pull away. Like when the, the group of her friends are wanting to pull, pull her away from you, the best thing to do is say, okay, honey, give me a hug. Go with your friends. I love you. And, and let her go. Because then you're not creating tension. That's the scariest thing in the world. You want to hang on to your kid. You want to keep them with you. You want to keep them safe. But the safest thing is to let them go. Because then you're removing the threat. And when you remove the threat, before you know it, she'll be at your house with her friends because the threat's been removed. And it's such, it's such, a, challenging, it's such a challenging stage to go through with teens who have trauma, have fetal alcohol exposure and all these other diagnoses because it can be so crazy. It can be so crazy and it makes us crazy and we all just get scared. Crazy is just rooted in fear. It's rooted in You think about that. We're crazy because stress causes confusion, distorted thinking. Stress and fear make us crazy. Stress and fear turn off our short-term memory. We can't think clearly when we are stressed out and scared. So we become crazy. We become crazy because we're stressed out and scared. We're not thinking clearly and we can't remember. So we are, we are crazy. And in our craziness, we keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Mm -hmm. I have a question about how you, um, when we're confused in the moment and you're telling us to just breathe, mm -hmm. which I get, um, I think I am someone that like blocks off my emotion. Okay. So when you're saying like bring it back to emotion, that, <clears throat> I think that's going to be hard for me. Okay. Well, it's not going to be hard. It's no. not going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. Okay. But here's what you're going to do. Put your hand on your throat. Breathe in, that's where your block is at. That's where your block is at because somewhere in your own life, your voice was taken away from you. You couldn't have a voice. And so it shows up right there. And when you get stressed, that's where it's at. So see where those emotions are at right now? Yeah, see it's not that hard, but it's, we just have to be willing to do it. Put that hand back up there. <laughs> say, you take that, say you want to take that hand away. You, know, you take that hand away because you don't want to have those feelings. But that's where they're at. That's where your block's at. So 
Put your hand there and just breathe into it. And when I say, you know, when you're confused, just get quiet and breathe. If you'll just get quiet and breathe, if you'll put your hand there, you're going to have emotion. And you can take that to your bedroom if you need to. You can go out to your car with that. That's your emotion. You can do with it whatever you want to until you feel safe. One of the, one of the best things you can do, though, is let your children know that that feeling's there. And it's, it's, it's not bad. It's not scary. It's not overwhelming. It's how you feel. It's how you feel. The, 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 Greek, the Greek translation of the word to honor is to assign meaning no greater or no less than what was deserved. It's honoring you. It's honoring your experience, your feelings. It's not about making anyone bad. Or it's not about making anyone else, you know, their fault or any of that. It's about honoring you. It was your experience. You deserve to have those feelings. You deserve to have those feelings, and you don't have to keep being that little girl who didn't have a voice. You have a voice, and it matters, and you can let that go. Okay? Now you can move your hand. <laughs> but don't forget, because it's there. Anytime you are having reactions to your children, one of the first things you have to do when you have an opportunity is stop and ask yourself, when did I feel this before? When did I feel, how am I feeling? How am I feeling right now and when did I feel this before? Because a lot of times you will regress back to a place to where you felt helpless. And then when you regress back to that place where you felt helpless, that's where you start operating from. The emotion takes over. We have a cognitive level of memory. We have a motor level of memory. Well, we have a cognitive level of memory. Then we have an emotional level of memory. Then we have a motor level of memory. And then we have a state level of memory. Your cognitive is your thinking. Your emotion is your feeling. Your motor is your movements. And your state is your personality. Trauma gets stored in the state. The state is at the bottom. So when you get stressed, your state level of memory turns on. So any trauma, any painful experiences get turned on and then dictates all the other levels of memory. So it's like a filing cabinet that goes up. And as soon as the state gets turned on, everything else is, is held hostage to that state. You, you become hostage to those past experiences. And so when you, your child is hostage to them. So both of you become hostage to them. Mm -hmm. And when you can start to, to honor and own your own, your own reactivity, your own pain, your own trauma, your own fear, your own anger, whatever it may be, when you can start to own that, then what you're essentially doing is you're giving the child the opportunity to have their own. Because what we do is if you get upset and then I get upset because something about your upset triggered my upset, then I'm taking my upset and I'm dumping it over your head. It's bad enough that you're already upset. Now you got psh, my upset too. And then I'm going to get more upset. Then you're going to get more. See, now, now we're in a negative feedback loop. So the best thing that I can do for you when you get upset and I get triggered into my upset is call my upset and realize that my upset really has nothing to do with you. When I can become more aware and more conscious of that, then what I can do is now I can give you the space to have your own upset without dumping my upset on you. And when I can give you the space to have your own upset, then I can start being more present for you. 
And then when I can start being more present for you, now this is where healing happens. Because in your upset, your state level of memory is open. So all your trauma is exposed. See, that's why negative behavior isn't really a bad thing. Because in the midst of your child's negative behavior, all of their trauma is exposed. Their state level, that filing, that, fi that drawer on that filing cabinet is wide open. And all that paper is just flying out of there. Right? When I don't get overwhelmed by that paper, when I look at it going, wow, geez, that's a lot of paper. That's pretty disorganized down there. All of a sudden, what I'm able to do is I'm start, able to start taking those little pieces of paper and helping you make a little more sense of them and helping you organize them just a little bit before that, before that cabinet, that drawer slams shut again. So my ability not to dump my stuff on you helps me help you to start organizing that drawer. And that's repetition. So what I'm doing is I'm helping your brain start to learn. And Bruce Perry says that, in, in, that the brain always returns to the way the event was handled the last time. The brain always returns to the way the event was handled the last time. So if you get upset with me and I get upset with you, then you have a memory in your brain that says when you get upset, I get upset. Mm -hmm. And that becomes repetition over time. You just expect it. You get upset, I get upset. So you get prepared. You get upset, you're already, you're already defending because you know I'm going to get upset. But that one moment I don't get upset, I just plant a new seed. And that's what I call the love weed seeds. Because weeds grow everywhere. So if you take a love weed seed, if I take that little love weed seed and I plant it right there in your, in your filing cabinet, in your drawer, then I'm organizing just a little bit. I'm helping you organize a little bit. And the next time you get upset, instead of going right back to the time automatically that I'm going to get upset, you first hit that little seed. And you're like, oh, maybe he's not going to get upset. Then if I do, well, then you drop back into the other memories. But we keep having opportunities over and over and over and over again to plant those seeds. The problem is we miss the opportunities by becoming stressed out. And it's so easy for us to, to blame our stress on our children. That would, be, that would be the case if you were all absent of any pain in your life. If you were all raised by Jesus, then that would probably be the case. But because we're not, we all have pain. And it all gets stirred up. It all gets triggered. So, I have another question that's not related to my daughter with FASD. I'm, I'm worried about my daughter who's a turtle. Mm. And it is an impossibility for her to not see what's going on and experience it. I mean, she lives with us. She knows her sister. She, she's the first to say, I miss my sister and I want to help her. She actually, when she was, how old was she? She was about 10. She said, Mom, when I'm older, I'm going to move in with, with my sister and I'm going to look after her. Mm. Now, she has a heart of gold. She's a beautiful person, but she has trouble with her emotions. And so if you do not let her, if she wants to say something, and she will interrupt you and say, hold on a second, I'll just finish my sentence and then you can speak, she will forget what she's saying. She literally forgets. Mm -hmm. She cannot remember. And I've noticed with everything that happened, yes, because there was a big thing, she is locking her door. Says, you, you know you are not allowed to lock your door. Mm -hmm. it, 
took a lot for me to be calm because I need to be able to get in because I don't know what's going on there. And so now I'm worried about her. Um, her mother has severe bipolar. Mm -hmm. And I'm really concerned with her emotional state mm -hmm. because she is eating. Mm -hmm. She's eating her emotions mm -hmm. and I can tell. Mm -hmm. She's gained tremendous amounts of weight. She eats carbs. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to change that. I'm on a carb-restricted diet because it's better for me. I have MS so I function better. My husband wants to do the same thing. She wants to do it, but she can't. Mm -hmm. So she will eat, and I, I don't know what to take away from her because that means I'm depriving her. So what you want to, <clears throat> what you want to take away from her, which it's not even going to be really taking away, it's going to be giving an opportunity for her to let go, is what she's feeling. She's eating her stress. So you have to help her get to a place to where she can express her stress. So use, use the food. So tell her, number one, honey, the way you are wired, and because you don't feel safe to express yourself, when you're getting stressed, you're eating. And you know this, and, and I know this, and you're eating carbs because carbs are sweet. It's sugar. And sugar makes you feel better. And that makes me sad. It makes me sad because I'm not helping you feel better. And I want to help you feel better. You're my baby. I want to help you feel better. <coughs> I want you to give me a chance to help you feel better. And I know how stressful all of this is. And, and you're saying this to a turtle child. So <coughs> you may have to lower your voice. You may have to whisper. I know how stressful this is. So it's not so overwhelming, because you have to imagine that she's stress-sensitive. Mm -hmm. So whisper. Okay. Give mama a chance. I need, let's say she's in her room. Get on your knees in front of her. And say, give mama a chance to make you feel safe. Just give you get hungry, honey. Let me eat with you. Let me eat with you. You want some food? Come tell me. Let me feed you. Because you're going to substitute that food for you. Right? But she, if she'll start talking to you, she won't need the food. But it's also conditioned now. It's also a habit. So now you got to break that. Right? So now it's not just her choosing to eat. Now she's becoming reliant, dependent on it. Mm -hmm. But the first part starts by helping her understand why she does it. And then you letting her know, I can keep you safe. I can keep you safe. And honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we haven't been able to get it all figured out with your sister. And I'm sorry that that scares you. And I'm sorry that that makes you feel helpless. But we're her mama too. I'm her mama too. We're her parents too. We're not giving up. We're not giving up. So you've got to take that responsibility from her. She keeps taking on that responsibility because she's not yet trusting that you've got it. And if she's not trusting that you've got it, she's going to keep wanting to take that on herself. I, I had a group home with adolescent boys, and there were five of them. And one night they were having a big episode 
we had a great night, Halloween, took them to a carnival, brought them back, and they were bickering at one another, and then the oldest one got triggered, and he decided, you know, he's going to show them, and so he jumps out, and he goes and gets the gas can, because his responsibility was to mow the lawn, so he had always kept the lock to the lawnmower and the gas, so he got the gas can, and we hadn't even went in the house yet, we just pulled back up. And he went and got the gas can and starts pouring gas around the house, making a circle. So the one who had really kind of been teasing him on the drive home says, he's going to burn the house down. He's going to burn the house down. So there's this, all these boys are getting upset. And uh, so then, so Andre was the one with the gas. And Andre is 18 years old. He may have been 19 at that point. He's six foot four, probably 250 pounds. And... Very feminine, very feminine. And so D was 16, about five foot seven, 150 pounds, but very aggressive. So we're outside, it's 11 o'clock at night. D runs, and so I, I took the, the gas can from Andre. I said, give me this gas can. What, boy, what's wrong with you? Give me this gas can. I went and put the gas can up. And I said, if your social worker knew that you were pouring gas around the house, you know what would happen to you? You'd be shipped off. And so D goes and tackles Andre. 11 o'clock at night, right? The other three are just watching. So D's tackling Andre. They are fighting. And I say fighting because it's like two three-year-olds fighting. Ooh, 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 ooh. And so, because I understand that energy, I just walk over and I say, stop it. Stop. Get up. Get up. Just like I would with three-year-olds. And Dee says, well, he's going to burn down the house. And I said, he's not going to burn down the house. You think I'm going to let him burn down the house? You think I can't keep you guys safe? I can keep all of you guys safe. 11 o'clock at night, me and this 16-year-old kid. Face to face. All the, everyone else is watching. I can keep you safe. It's my responsibility to keep you safe. Not your responsibility. My responsibility to keep you safe. I'm not going to let anyone not have a home. This is all of our home, and it's going to be okay. And I've got this. Well, well, he had the gas can. I said, you don't worry about the gas can. Now, y'all get in the house. That's just how I handled it. And they all went in the house. But you weren't whispering. I wasn't whispering. No. <laughs> because with him, I didn't need to. Because he was aggressive. I called him, his nickname was Little Bear. Oh. And I was Big Bear. And sometimes you had to put the Little Bear in his place to help him feel safe. And he had never felt safe before. And so just by claiming him and claiming the home, no one got in trouble. Andre didn't get in trouble. No one got in trouble. No consequences. No punishments. Just, I'm upset. I'm upset because I've got you. I can keep you all safe. Now go to bed. And they went to bed. But I tell you that because your youngest daughter feels like she's got to take responsibility. And she needs you to reclaim her and let her know that you're not giving up on her sister. That you've got this. And it may not look pretty, but you're not giving up. And this is what's so important about, and I don't want to, I don't want to lose the, the turtle child, because I know that's important. This is important when it comes to siblings. 
And what you have to understand, because a lot of times when you have siblings, your fear is that the sibling who's not as, not as easily stressed is going to start to mimic the one who is, who is real stressed. But what siblings do is they look to you all as the parent to determine <clears throat> whether they should feel safe or not. If you are dealing with the behavior and it's stressing and overwhelming you, then they're going to feel stressed and overwhelmed. If you're dealing with the behavior and you're handling it, they're going to look at you and they're going to say they can handle it. But what they're also going to say is, I now know when I behave that way, if I behave that way, I know what the response is going to be. And so that creates a level of safety, creates a level of predictability. But with the turtle child, you have to go slow, whispering, making yourself present. It's kind of like I said last night with the turtle, you got to be present. And sometimes that's just being in her room. That's sometimes it's not talking. It's just being present. You know, going for a drive somewhere, you don't have to talk. It's your vibration that makes all the difference. And what happens is if you do that enough, she eventually can come out of her shell. And she'll start talking. You can't force it out of her. Just be present. Both you and your husband. Thank you. My daughter is my son doesn't live with us anymore. Mm -hmm. He's 24, he has his... Did I meet him last night? Yeah. I think he was talking to your husband, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I want to keep um, a good relationship with him. It, it was difficult at home, so he left, and, mm -hmm. and we're supporting him in, a, as, in his apartment. But what I, I just want to ask or say or he has alcohol and drug issues so I, I want to bound with him so he can feel more comfortable and maybe those issues will go away but I have difficulty when I pick him up I'm happy I'm going to get addicts and we're going to go shopping or dinner or whatever but he smells so bad that I don't get angry, I don't get, but I feel stress, and he feels it, and it destroy a bit our good yeah. bounding mm -hmm. uh, dinner, whatever, because I cannot handle the mm. this, and I know that I have to work on myself mm. to just ignore the smell or whatever and enjoy the moment but let me give you let me give you something on that um, so let's start with this the next time you you arrange to, to you guys to have bonding time and he shows up and he's been drinking and I really want this to happen so I really hope it happens <clears throat> and you smell it I want you to just pull the car over stop the car 
I want you to take his hand. And I want you to put the other hand on your heart. And I want you to breathe in and I want you to squeeze his hand. And I want you to say, I just love you so much. And I am so sad. And I am so sorry for all the stress that we have gone through. I'm so sad after all these years, I haven't been able to help you feel as accepted as I need to. Can you forgive me? Have your tears. Ask him if he can forgive you. He says yes. Say great. Okay, let's go. And then, and then go do what you're going to do. That's going to have a huge imprint on him. Because what you have to understand is not only does he have cellular conditioning towards alcohol, right? So there's vibrations in him that's attracted to that. Yeah. Because that's the core of who he is. But then, now he's got stress in his life trying to be an adult that he uses alcohol to help him try to regulate because that's what alcohol does. It helps us get out of, out of whatever stress we're feeling into an altered state so we can feel better, right? So it's another, it's self-soothing. Addiction is an external attempt to soothe an internal state. That's all addiction is, is a child who learns to use something outside of them to soothe something inside of them. That's no different than food. You have to stop seeing the alcohol and the drugs as a bad thing and see it as his attempt to survive. But what you want to help, what you want to help create, the reason you want to help have that moment is you want to give him some consciousness without mentioning the alcohol. Some consciousness that he's stressed. And you can say to him, honey, I know you, I know we have a good time when we're together, but I also know it's stressful. So say this the next time. But after you do the thing I said, so the next, so after that time, say, honey, I know it's stressful. I know we have a good time together, but I also know it's stressful. So could you please only have one or two drinks and not three or four? Because I think after three or four, I don't get to enjoy you as much. So if you need to have, just have, have one or two drinks or smoke half a joint instead of a whole joint and just give him permission because he's going to do it anyway, right? He was going to drink or smoke the joint anyway. That's what we don't realize, but we should realize it because he keeps doing it over and over and over again. This way, you're giving him permission, but really what you're doing is you're talking to his scared little boy. You're talking to the stressed out, scared little boy who thinks he needs to get altered to spend time with mom because he's afraid of being rejected. So, but then what he experiences is mom rejects him energetically. Even though you don't get upset, 90% of communication is nonverbal. He, he, can feel he feels it. He feels it. So as soon as he gets in, you go from here to here. And he's like, ugh. But at least he's got the alt. Now he's a little altered. He can deal with he can, he can deal with the rejection a little better. So just say to him after you do that, you know, hands apology. Just say to him, 
I know it's stressful and I know we have a good time, but I know it's still stressful. So if you could, maybe just have one or two drinks. And he'll say, okay, mom, and he may not have any. Just because you gave him permission. Because you said to him, it's stressful. I know how easily, how sensitive you are. And I'm sorry for that. It's been a lot of years for you to develop that sensitivity. And we haven't gotten it right. We've messed up. We've messed up. But we want to do better. And we're trying. I just need you to give us a chance. And I, I, I'm so thankful that you allow us to spend this time together. That's going to that's gonna have so much impact. If you can do that, it'll have so much impact. And then you don't have to feel bad. Because now you're helping him and helping him. Instead of stressing him. And stressing him, yeah. Instead of stressing him. Yeah, good idea. Yeah. And then you can go home, have your husband put his arms around you and have a big boo-hoo. If you're that stressed about it. But I bet you won't. You won't even be that stressed about it anymore. No, because I will just uh, share it. So yes. It, when you share, it's less heavy. So. Mm -hmm. Usually, he he he, drank, he drinks he, the the night before. So the, when I was saying the smell, it's because it was so heavy the night before that when he gets into the car, you can still smell it. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you know what you say? You say, I'm so glad you're safe. Yeah. You okay. must have really tied one on last night. I'm so glad you're here. I'm, okay. so, glad, I'm so glad you showed up. Okay. But see, we're not condoning. That's not condoning the behavior. Yeah. That's taking away the threat for something that already exists. See, we think we're condoning it by saying, I'm so glad that you, you made it. I'm so glad that you only drank a certain amount. That's not condoning it. That's just taking away the stress you create around it, which actually lessens, lessens the desire to have it. It's just a paradigm shift. It's just a different way of, of approaching it. So if I relieve some stress from him, maybe he'll be more uh, willing to share or to talk to me about his difficulties or not only that but the night before he may even take less he may even drink less because he knows he's going to come see you and then all of a sudden he doesn't want to disappoint you he doesn't want to let you down so then no longer it's not about about him feeling rejected by you it's about him letting you down and him rejecting you and he doesn't want that so that can just have carryover influence and that gives him the opportunity I've got, a, I've got a buddy of mine who has probably only smoked a joint twice in his life because he said, every time I think about it, I think about how my mom would think, what my mom would think. If I was to have an asthma attack because I smoked a joint, what would my mom think? His mom's deceased now. But that message still carries over for him. And so when we can create that kind of relationship with our children, it goes back to the relationship. The relationship's what's going to see you through. It's going to see you, see him, see you and him through this this moment in time. And when this moment in time is passed, because all of your children's brains aren't even mature yet. Mm -hmm. None of your children are working with mature brains. So there's, they've, you've still got plenty of time. And there's going to be these shifts that happen when their brains hit these mature, these developmental stages where the relationship gets a little better. My question is, is 
um, you know, we're encouraging them to tell us, to, to share what they're feeling and stuff like that. But my fear is, my little guy that's 11, is his verbally, he's only three years old and he can't articulate it. How do we help them show it in another way? Or how do we help it's, them? It's not necessarily always got to be specific words because some of their experiences were pre-verbal. They don't even have words for them. But it can be just you, you communicating the words. And in you communicating the words and the feelings more than anything. It's the feeling that's more important than the words. So when I say, I feel really sad. I feel really sad. I feel really stressed. I feel really angry. Then I am communicating a feeling behind a word and I'm teaching you how to use your words. So we teach her, so we take a child who's been conditioned for behaviors and we start reconditioning them for feelings, making feelings okay. And then we reconditioning, making attitudes okay. And then when they get to attitudes, attitudes and feelings is how we all cope in society. That's what we want. We just want to move them out of behaviors. But right now, that's just where they're at. So when they're having behaviors and you give them words and feelings, you start making words and feelings okay then they start moving away from the need to have those behaviors because their brain starts learning new pathways. Okay, so when he, all of a sudden he just gets mad, and then what do I say to him? Uh, you are, you seem mad. You're really mad. What yeah. happened, buddy? Yeah, and I tried that, and okay. then it's like... Well, then don't say anything. Don't say anything after that? Yeah, don't say anything. I mean, just let him be mad for a moment. And, and just let him be where he needs to be because... In a heightened state of emotion, we constricted to survival. When we constricted to survival, we can't, we can't be open for relationship. So when we're constricted to survival, sometimes, that's why I said last night, talking is the worst thing to do because it's creating more stress. So when he gets really mad, sometimes you just have to take a step back and wait. And wait until he makes eye contact with you. And just keep breathing. And when he looks at you, you go, and you might even whisper, you look really mad. Mm -hmm. What happened? Mm -hmm. And I've asked, I've, I tried that this morning, and there's no answer. Like you just that's okay. It in. He doesn't know. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't know. He's just in his feelings, and that's okay. Yeah. But you're identifying it. So you're labeling it, which means you're teaching it. Okay. So the more you label it, the more he starts to learn, the more you start putting those words in his mouth, you start giving him that understanding of himself. But we're kind of guessing too, aren't we? That they mean you're not guessing if you if you know. Yeah. If you if you if you're if you take a deep breath, you're we're all connected and attuned enough to our children, we already know. So you know what's going on. You just have to feel it. So you're not even guessing. You just feel it. See, I'm so confused because there's, he could just all of a sudden, he's going to hit his sister. I have no clue why. And he's mad at her. Like, where did that come from? That I have a lot of those situations. Like, he was just fine. And all of a sudden, something triggered and I have no idea. Well, that's because you don't know what that something is. Exactly. You have no idea because you don't know what that something is. And that's, that's, that's where we, we're usually, we've turned mm -hmm. and we've, we've gotten disconnected. And we don't see what that thing is that flips that switch. But then I always say, 
have an understanding of how big your child's window of tolerance is. Right. Because they've got a window of tolerance for how much stress they can handle. And when they exceed that 10 minutes, then it's almost guaranteed they're going to hit. Or they're going to bite. Or they're going to yell. Or they're going to break. And so start, start tuning in and predicting that window of tolerance. Connecting with your child before they, before they eclipse that window of tolerance. Like they could be just waking up. We, we had the example of their buckets already full when they wake up. So here's one of the things I was going to tell you I want you to start doing um, with those two is giving them a bottle in the mornings before they get out of bed. A baby bottle? A baby bottle, mm -hmm. yeah. So I want you to, to get some milk, maybe even warm it up. Maybe they won't want it warm. They, they probably want it cold because of where they came from. Put some, a drop or two of vanilla in it, maybe a little honey, make it a little sweet. Lay down beside them and give them a bottle before they ever get out of bed. Wow, we're going really far back. You're going way back, yeah. And, and that's, you're, you're working with some really, really core developmental gaps. So I would say give them a bottle first thing in the morning before they get out of bed. And they'll start waiting for it. And they'll probably, I would say they'll probably want that for the next six months. If you and you'll do it consistently, you know, do it during the week. You can take, you know, take the weekends off or whatever. They may ask you to do it. If they ask you to do it, go give it to them. You hold it, lay beside them, and just give them the bottle. And what you're doing is you're getting in there and you're you're turning up those circadian rhythms real slow. You're dialing them up because what happens when children have experienced trauma and they wake up, their circadian rhythms go go from zero to ten. Then they're immediately agitated and mad. Like, why are you so, what are you upset about? Yeah, exactly. That's just how their brain's wired. Or they don't, they can't get up at all. It's like, oh, it's like the zombie effect. Yeah. <laughs> Giving them that bottle helps turn it up. Now, what you have to understand about a bottle is if your children don't need it, they won't take it. They'll say, get out of here. I'm not a baby. <laughs> but approach it, approach it as though they want it and approach it as though you want to give it to them. And nine times out of 10, they'll accept it. But a lot of times parents will be like, hey, can I give you a bottle? Let me give you a bottle, baby. Don't do that, because that's shaming, right? Right? I like to say, you know what? When you were a baby, I didn't get a, I didn't get a chance. I miss, I miss you had them when they were babies. So you say, well, with your daughter, she didn't come to your 18 months. So you can say, I missed out on those, all, those, all those moments of giving you a bottle. And mama just wants to do that again and have her baby back. Hmm. I just want my baby back for a little while. So what do we do? Because <coughs> this is interesting. Uh, my daughter, she's always loved her soother. She knows how to sell soothes. She has special blankets with strings that she pulls. And she rubs it, and that calms her. I don't understand that, but uh, I've always bought her those. It's sensory. Yeah. Well, yes, but I don't know what that does because it doesn't do anything for me. And lately, well, what it does, <laughs> what it does, is it turns on oxytocin in her brain. That so rubbing that string. No different than the food. It's all the same. Okay. That rubbing that string, it's mm -hmm. that's touch. Okay, in touch is is your skin has the has the biggest receptors um, as as correlated to your brain. So whatever she's touching, it's like that's massaging her brain. So if you could massage her, she's getting the same thing out of playing with that string. Well, and that's the same thing she gets. Now, what would be even better is if you had those strings on you, 
and she can play with strings on you while you're next to her. Okay, I'm going to make a poncho then, and she can do that. Yeah, because then you can hold her. You can hold her. She could sit next to you, and she can play with those strings. But then what she's really getting is your regulatory vibration. And then all you've got to do is sit there and be quiet and just think loving thoughts and just breathe and be calm. The thing that she told me, she loves milk. She drinks milk like there's no tomorrow. She told me she really misses her soothers. Mm-hmm. And she misses her bottles. Maybe she'll let you give her a bottle. Well, so, yeah. Yeah. I guess I've, I've my, never... My, my 16-year-old grandson will not give up his soother. Mm-hmm. And, and he, we've had orthodontists <laughs> and dentists, and I can't tell you how many, and pediatricians, and I don't know how many people. Nor say, should he. Yeah, say he shouldn't have it. Let him have Let him have it. He has it. Let him have it. <laughs> he has, well, he only... has supplies of every house he stays <laughs> Well, because in. he has it in those moments when he needs it. It's mm-hmm. not like he walks around outside Public. with his soother, right? But he comes to our house, he knows where he's got his supply. Good. He's got a supply his mom's house. He's got, um, yeah. The, the only, the only better, the only better thing than him having it is if he will let you give it to him. Mm. But, you know, it's 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 great for your kids to have bottles, but it's better mm. if you're giving it to them mm. or with them in the process because that's the original experience. What the bottle mimics is being at the breast. Mm-hmm. You don't want to just have the breast out there by yourself. <laughs> you want to have that soothing, loving, kind, nurturing person with you, making you feel safe. Because the best thing about breastfeeding is not even the breastfeeding. The best thing about breastfeeding is the oxytocin and the connection that's getting created during the process. Mm-hmm. It's skin to skin. You're activating all the sensory pathways. This is important. In fact, um, Fraser Mustard, do you guys know that name? He was with, he was, he's Canadian and he was over the ministry, like the deputy of the ministry. I don't know what the names are here, but this was 15 years ago. And he was talking about the importance of parents holding their children in their arms and being close to them is because you're activating all the sensory, the primary sensory pathways, smell, sight, sound, if you're giving them a bottle, taste, temperature, touch. All that gets activated and all that has a direct impact on the brain. Now think about that as opposed to just this sensory pathway. This sensory pathway is eye contact and it's sound. Well imagine if imagine if you guys were in my arms and we were having this conversation. <laughs> imagine how impactful that would be. You'd never forget, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> She's come to me when she was 15 days old. She didn't make eye contact. It took me about a month before she did. I, I, I don't. Maybe I did something like I've always held her. It's in utero. She came to you balled up. She came to you balled up. That was her experience. She's balled up. And even thinking about her less as a turtle child, just think of her as a balled-up fetus. She's just scared. And you're just soothing her into relaxation. You didn't do anything wrong. You've done everything right. She's okay. She's not bad. There's just some tweaks we can make to help her relax even more and help you guys' relationship even more. The best thing that could have ever happened to her was to come in 
to, to come into your home. The absolute best thing. You've done nothing wrong. Well, I just feel I must have missed something. No. I mean, she came to me, she was, she had lost two pounds. She's 15 days old and she's lost two pounds. She was preemie clothes didn't fit her. I bought her soft, dull clothes. And tell her about that. I did. Yeah. And she thinks that's really cool. Yeah, and feed her the bottle and tell her about it all over again. Okay. Tell her about all that when she was a baby, what that was like for her. It's going to help her relax. Okay. Oh, so we just have like five minutes. Wow. <laughs> Anyone else? Wow. I think we all need to forgive ourselves for absolutely and let that go. Mm -hmm. We didn't know. Yeah, we didn't know. What you need to do is commend yourself, even more than forgiving yourself. Commend yourself mm -hmm. the fact that you are trying, that you keep not only that you're trying, but that you keep trying. How many years of therapy? You keep trying. You've not stopped. You've not stopped. And the reality is, it's just not been time yet. It's not been time. Now it's time. Now it's time. Everything that you learn right now, moving forward, it's time. It's time for you to take your child to the next level. It's time for you to move to the next level. It just hasn't been time yet. It's time now. And so you're going to take all that persistence and determination that you've had, that you've been having, and you're just going to go to that next level. Because now you've tried everything else. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. You know, that's, that's really important because when you have, say, family who aren't aware or haven't had the situation, they're very judgmental. Mm -hmm. And I think I think that's really helpful to realize that you know, it doesn't matter what they think. You've tried your best. Mm -hmm. mom used to, my mom used to always say, I tried my best, and if I made a mistake, God will forgive me. Sure. You know, so I think that's something that's, that's yeah, been a real so struggle for us. Social and familial judgment is rough. <laughs> it's rough. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really evolutionary because being a part of the clan is a part of our survival. And so when we get judged, it's separating us from the clan. It's separating us from relationship. And we're engineered to be in relationship. So there's so much threat around that. But in reality, you're not really losing your clan. It's just the fear of it. Because those people, you know, that are judging, you probably don't want to be around them anyway. <laughs> I want to share for, for these things. A friend of mine said to me one day, and I think it's good that you can grumble to somebody. You know, yeah. Brenda Lee and Jody are amazing at listening to the Vesuvius, and you just get so much. It's a good way to regulate yourself. But I had a friend say to me, Patricia, they're not your blessing, you are their blessing. You are, and you're, by you being a blessing to your daughter and your grandchildren, then you're blessing the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're all being blessed, and you are blessed. And you are a blessing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. To step up and <clears throat> to love these people that have been given more than most of us could bear. Mm -hmm. 
maybe it's a blessing that they're not as aware as what they're carrying. And that's part of our burden, is I find it a burden to be so aware mm -hmm. and to witness my grandchildren and my daughter being unaware of what they're carrying. That's the biggest burden for me. And then I go back and remind myself that, yes, keep being the blessing. Plus you all. That's <laughs> true. It's true. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you so much.